Hallelujah, isn't the Lord good? I said, isn't the Lord good? Amen, amen. Don't you love that song, His Goodness is Coming After. I'm telling you what, he's coming after this this morning because he loves us. No good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. And I just want to encourage someone with that because we were... As we were in worship, I thought about that, and I just got this sense that there may be some here today that's like you feel like you just can't see the goodness of God in your life right now, like you're wanting to. I mean, you're here, right? But it's like I just I struggle to. Can I just say this to you? Like, if it isn't good, he's not finished yet. I said, if it's not good, he's not finished yet. We've got to tr- look. Faith in God also means faith in God's timing. I've shared this with you guys so many times. You know the most asked question in the Bible is, how long, O Lord? (laughs) But watch this. God, though, always fulfills his promises. They are always yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Amen. Y'all ready for the word? All right, why don't you flip in your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 4. We are... Getting close to bringing our unhindered series to a close. And I feel like these last few messages that I'm going to preach, and I say few because I don't know if it's going to be two more or three more, but um, I think that they're going to be and serve as the explanation mark or point to all that Paul has taught us so far. If you are just joining us, Paul has taught us some key truths that we need to know in order to live an unhindered life in Christ. He taught us the power of having an unwavering, persistent prayer life. He emphasized how that we are engaged in a spiritual warfare. He talks about how we are to serve one another out of humility. He also talked about living out our faith with all of our heart as unto the Lord. And he also talked about us trusting God's promises. Now, if you guys missed any of the messages in the series, I want to say that today might be the 18th installment of this series. And so I encourage you, you can go on our website, our YouTube channel, um, or I think it's on Facebook, several other places, podcasts. So you can catch all of that there. But I want us to pick back up where we left off last week in Colossians chapter 4. Last week, we went over Colossians 4, verse 4. I want us to pick back up in Colossians 5. And Paul starts out by saying this. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. I usually teach from the ESV, but I want to kind of maybe shift it and give you the New American Standard Bible and the translation because I like it. Paul says, here, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Now, I want to start with a very important truth that needs to be said. How you live matters. It matters to God, and it matters to people. And I know that that seems as if it should be like an understood point, but sadly, it's not. What I mean by that is there are more and more people who identify as Christians, yet they don't believe that how they live their life matters. 
And so Paul clearly says here that we are to conduct ourselves with wisdom, meaning that we are to give careful consideration as to how we live. And as I mentioned earlier, we're to do it because it matters to God, but also because it matters to people. In one place in the gospel, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus tells us to let our light to shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Again, how you live matters to others. Now, I want us to just dive into what Paul meant whenever he says to conduct yourselves with wisdom. To walk or to conduct, that's a Greek word called peripateo. Peripateo. And it has several different definitions. The first one is to regulate. Now, what do you do whenever you regulate something? You don't allow too much or too little, right? Just this week, my buddy John sent his crew over to do uh, some sprinkler installation into my house for the, my yard. And part of the reason that we did that was because we had areas that was getting too much water and we had areas that were getting too little. And here's the thing. Both were causing problems. Too much meant that the grass wouldn't get what it needed and eventually it was going to die. But too much meant that there would be fungus and disease that would form, as well as unwanted weeds that would spread. And so we decided to, ready, regulate our system so that it would function properly and so that it would produce good health. Well, that's what Paul is saying right here. It's exactly what he's telling us. He's saying, regulate your life. Conduct your life in order for there to be good spiritual growth. As a matter of fact, another definition of that phrase, conduct yourselves, is to make progress. And I want to hit this point right here, if I could, because I don't want you to hear a message like this and think that it's saying that you have to be perfect. No. No one is perfect, and no one can be perfect. But we can make progress. And this is the language that, that Paul often uses in his letters. And it's even the language that Paul uses whenever he's referencing his own faith walk. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 and 14, Paul says this. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. He's saying, guys, I'm not perfect. I've still got a ways to go. He says, but... I press on to make it my own. He's making progress. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting whatever lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on for the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The call to conduct yourself with wisdom isn't a demand for perfection. It's a call for growth. It's knowing when to say yes, and it's knowing when to say no. Which leads me to the next definition of this Greek phrase, to conduct yourself, which is to make due use of opportunities. Friends, did you know that with every decision 
that you make in life, there's an opportunity. Have you ever considered that? Now, that opportunity could be something that's going to lead toward being positive or being negative. But with every decision that we make, there is an opportunity. And so how can we recognize these opportunities and ensure that we make decisions that are going to bring about good? Well, Paul gives us the answer. He said, by conducting yourself with, ready for this, wisdom. Come on, someone say wisdom. Church, grab hold of this thought. We're not to just simply walk aimless in life, but we are to live with intention, and we do so by applying wisdom. And now here's the thing. Wisdom comes from God. Just as God has made available to us everything that we need in order to live a godly life, God has made wisdom available to us. James 1.5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously without approach, and it will be given to him. You see, God wants us to walk in wisdom, in his wisdom. But here's the problem that I see with many believers. They don't turn to God, but instead they just choose to walk in their own understanding which never works out well for them. Now, I think there may be a few different reasons that people do that. And one is because we have conditioned ourselves to become self-reliant, which makes it difficult for us to acknowledge our limitations and to ask for help. We're like the uh, proverbial man who, prior to GPS, refuses to ask for directions on, anyone know someone like that? <laughs> anyone sit next to someone like that? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> I won't say who it is because they may or may not be here <laughs> this morning, <laughs> but um, I have some guys in my life, they still refuse to use GPS, and they wear it as if it's a badge of honor. <laughs> And here's the thing, that's fine, by the way, if you want to just go throughout life without your GPS, because the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to maybe get lost, lose a little bit of time, and spend a little bit of extra fuel. But we've got to be careful that we do not condition ourselves to become self-reliant in the other areas of our life, like the ones that really matter, like marriage. Listen, if you go into marriage being self-reliant and not relying upon God, it will not bode well for you. Hey, the same is true of parenting. Some parents think that just because they were children once that now somehow that's equipped them for everything that they need to know about raising children. How many of you know that's a fallacy? Look, just because you have a good grasp on your childhood, that does not equate to good parenting. I'm going to tell you that there is a great probability that your children are different than you. They may share the same DNA as you, but their God-given personality could be light years away from your own. And so that means that you're going to have to approach them differently than if they were just a clone of you. Are y'all catching this this morning, church? Parents, I hope you are. 
But it's not just because of self-reliance that people don't turn to God and look for his wisdom. But some don't look to God because they feel like they're not worthy. Or they think that God is uninterested in the big spiritual matters. He's, or, or, I'm sorry, he's only interested in the big spiritual matters, not the smaller aspects of, his, of his, our lives. It's like as if the, the little things, they're just they're too trivial for God. But you got to understand something. That right there, that belief is a lack of understanding of who God is and how God sees us. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Like in regards to worthiness, look, the central message of the Christian faith is one of grace and unconditional love. You see, based on our works, none of us are worthy. But worthiness has nothing to do with our deeds. It's granted to us by grace. Matter of fact, that right there should set someone free who you feel like you're not good enough. Let me tell you what the Word of God has to say. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 emphasizes that it is by grace. Grace means unmerited favor. It's by grace through faith that we're saved. Not by our works so that no one can boast. And so we've got to dismantle this thing that we have built up in our minds, believing that we can't approach God because we're unworthy. Hey, the Bible says that we are to boldly come before the throne of grace, meaning that we can rest assured that our faith in Christ's sacrifice permits us to ask whatever we have need of from God. Good place to say amen, church. But in regards to those who think that there are areas of their life that are too trivial for God, like they don't go to God for wisdom because they feel like uh, their requests that they're bringing to him, they're just, they're not worthy. They're, they're too small for God or there's something that God would consider just uh, uh, this, this thing, trivial thing. If you happen to think that way, I want to bring your attention to something. The Bible says that God knows the number of hairs on your head. Now, for some of you, that may not seem like a divine challenge. <laughs> but remember that he also keeps track of all the hairs that you have lost as well. So for those of you who you think that maybe you're making God's job easier, he's way ahead of you, okay? <laughs> but catch this. This knowledge... It isn't just because he's omniscient, although he is. The Bible says that God knows the hairs of our head, and the reason why, this knowledge, it's an intimate knowledge. In other words, he knows because he cares. And we know this because he tells us this in his word. As a matter of fact, in another place in Scripture, in Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18, it says, how precious are your thoughts concerning me, O God. How vast in number they are. If I try to count them, they would be more than there are grains of sand. Now, does that right there sound like a God who is uninterested in what you may label as a small thing? No. 
See, the reality is God is just as concerned with the small things as he is the big things. Many people hold this wrong belief about God, and that's what prevents them from bringing things before him. Just a few weeks ago, <coughs> excuse me, just a few weeks ago I was at the gym, and when I'm at the gym, there's several people that I, I try to witness to while I'm there, and I was talking to one of them, and this person was telling me about a health condition that she had, and I told her that I would pray for her. And she responded by saying, Pastor, don't waste your time praying for me. She says, I'm sure that God has bigger fish to fry than being concerned about my small health condition. Now, as you can imagine, I assured her that anything that concerned her concerned God. See, this is one of the things that I love about God. Not only... It's nothing too big for God, but nothing is too small for him either. But my friend at the gym is a representation of what we often see even from Christians. I'm talking about those who decide to lean on their own understanding rather than trust God, that God cares about both the big things and the small things. You've heard me say this many times, but leaning on your own understanding results in the best that you can do. But trusting in God results in the best that he can do. Now let's look back to our verse there in Colossians 4, 5. Paul says to conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. Now what do you think that Paul meant when he said outsiders? Well, we know that he wasn't talking about the 1983 movie with Tom Cruise and Patrick Swayze now, right? Half the congregation has no idea what I'm talking about. They're only laughing because they feel sorry that I'm old. But, <laughs> but here's what he's talking about. He's talking about those who were outside of the faith. Those who were yet to embrace the truth of the gospel. And Paul tells us that we need to be mindful to be, rather, the word says, wise in how we conduct ourselves towards them. Now, this right here brings into play the definitions that I shared with you earlier, and it kind of gives them context to regulate, to make progress, and to make due use of opportunities. That means that we should recognize that there are some things that we can do, and there are some things that we cannot do as followers of Jesus. Did you know that? And then there are other things that's kind of in the middle. God's like, okay, yeah, you can do them. And so Paul speaks to it and says, hey, all things are lawful for me. In other words, like, yeah, you can. He says, but not all things are beneficial. I memorized that in the King James. It says all things are, not all things are expedient. In other words, not all things are going to expedite your God-given purpose. So this right here, this definition, like I said, it brings those things into context because what it means for us is this. We are to always be growing. Are you hearing me? Not just for our sake, but also for the sake of the world. In the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 19, the scripture says, for the creation waits 
in eager expectations for the children of God to be revealed. You know, at the beginning of every year, I always um, ask God to give me a word for that year. It's crazy because sometimes he gives me that word. He's like, you forgot to ask me, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Isn't that cool how sometimes God even answers prayers that we don't pray just because he's good like that? You know, because sometimes I forget to pray, and that's why we need to pray in the spirit, because sometimes we do not know how to pray as we ought. That's a message for another day, but right, right? And so this year, I hadn't even gotten around to it yet. Um, I usually set that side of time, and the Lord's like, oh, I've got the word for you. I'm like, oh, yes, Lord, I, I, I want that. He says, I actually got two. And here's the words that he gave me, and I want you to hold on to these words. I want you to lean into them. It was build and grow. Those are two things God simultaneously wants to do in our lives. He wants us to build upon the spiritual foundation that has already been laid in our lives. And he wants us to grow into maturity. And part of what we're talking about today, learning to conduct ourselves with wisdom, with outsiders, it's part of that building and growing process. So, how are we to conduct ourselves with wisdom towards those who are not a part of the faith? Well, there's several key things that God instructs us to do and how we live before outsiders, as Paul calls them. But I'm going to just give you, if I could, three of them this morning. And I encourage you to write these down, even more so, though, than to put them in application. But the first one is to show respect and kindness. That means that we are to show genuine interest in others and listen to what they're thinking. Listen actively. Y'all know what active listening is? I do pre-marriage counseling and post-marriage counseling. Um, I prefer the pre, but uh, I will also do the post. But we talk about active listening, and that's whenever you say something, the person then says it, back to you. Well, we need to apply that not only in marriage, we need to even apply that to the outsiders like we're talking about. When they say something, don't just assume that you know what they're saying. Say, let me make sure I understand what you're saying. Are you saying this? Because oftentimes, I practice this. I just practiced it recently with my wife. I said, let me make sure I hear you right. Are you saying this? She goes, that's not at all what I'm saying. (laughs) So sometimes, we need to practice active listening because our ears aren't perfect. Hello? We interpret things differently. And so we got to say, let me make sure. So active listening, right? But we're supposed to show respect and kindness. And listen, listening actively, that means that we are to avoid dismissive and judgmental attitudes. And can I just say that I recognize that, that many of you, you're, you're already doing this. You're showing respect. Man, you guys are, are, are so great. As a matter of fact, um, whenever I, I, I visited with my staff on Friday, we went over what we felt like were the core values here at Destiny, and one of them was authenticity. And everyone agreed that that was like the number one thing that they felt like how many of you would agree that's true, that they feel like that's one of the number one things that Destiny Church portrays, right, is there's the authenticity here, right? And so you guys are doing an excellent, excellent job at this. And I just want to say, keep it up. 
Because there are a lot of people who identify as Christians, but their attitude toward outsiders is anything but respectful. As a matter of fact, did you know that there are two reasons that people don't come to church? It's because they either don't know a Christian or they do. I'm going to give you a second to process that. Let me say it again. I said, the reason that people don't come to church, it's for two reasons. It's either because they don't know a Christian or because they do. See, the world can't connect the dots when they hear the message of the cross, but then they see the actions of Christ-like followers and their messengers. And And I'm sorry, as a messenger, Brennan Manning once said this, he said, the Greatest single cause of atheism in the world today. Some of y'all thought that that was DC Talk that said that, and you, the X generation got that, like 10 people, DC Talk. Again, showing my age. All right, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. I need to go look up what if I stumble, what if I fall by DC talk, because clearly y'all didn't know what I'm talking about, and that's going to bless you right there. But watch this. This quote, what it does is it highlights a sobering truth that should resonate with every believer, and in many ways, it encompasses and encapsulates one of the central themes that we have explored all throughout this unhindered series, and that is the significance of us living our life, our faith authentically and consistently. You see, when we as Christians proclaim Christ's love, grace, and truth, but our actions, like they contradict those claims, we undermine the credibility of our faith. The world sees this incongruity and becomes skeptical, even cynical, about the Christian message. That's why Paul tells us that we are to conduct ourselves with wisdom toward those who are outside of the faith, meaning that our faith must be more than just words. It must be demonstrated in our actions. The way we conduct ourselves in our daily lives, especially to those outside of the faith, profoundly impacts how they perceive Christianity. Now, maybe you're here and you're thinking, but pastor, I'm I'm not perfect. I'm going to mess up. And to that, I'd say, yep, you probably are. But what we're talking about here isn't perfection. It's authenticity and consistency. See, the world isn't looking for you to be perfect. They're looking for you to be real. And to be real means to be honest. To be honest about your struggles. To be honest about your shortcomings. To be honest when you have doubts and struggles. Hey, this right here will reach people far more than trying to present yourself as having it all together. Now let's look at the second thing that God instructs us to do with outsiders. And that's to show empathy and understanding. Now let me just give you the definition of the word empathy just to make sure that we're all on the same page. But Webster's defines the word empathy as the action of understanding. 
<clears throat> Do you know that understanding requires an action? The action of understanding, being aware of, being sensitive to. Some people say, oh, I'm a little too sensitive. And the Bible says there's times that we need to be sensitive. Especially need to be sensitive when it comes to becoming sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And then it says, vicariously experiencing the feelings, thoughts, and experience of another. Church, that means that we are to understand the perspectives, the concerns, and the questions of outsiders. We are to empathize with their struggle and their challenges and avoid being condescending or making assumptions about their beliefs. Try to understand why they came to believe what it is that they believe. And in so doing, you might just find out what that barrier is that has been, that has existed, that's been keeping them from coming to know Christ. And you might just learn something in the process. But that's never going to happen unless you become empathetic, unless you choose to be empathetic. Let me say it this way. We've got to learn to step into other people's shoes, walk their path, and show genuine interest in them. This is what's going to open the door for us to introduce them to Christ. But we cannot and we must not be condescending or judgmental because all that does is build walls, not bridges. Just earlier in the week, something showed up in one of my feeds where there was a street preacher who was arguing with non-believers. And the preacher asked one of the people in the crowd, he says, where do you think that we came from? And the non-believer said, evolution. And the non-believer, honestly, wasn't even arguing with him. He just answered the preacher's question. And the preacher responded by saying, so. And he was so haughty, too. Man, hmm. you ever see a minister and he's haughty? Take a step back, right? And so he said to him, he says, so, I believe that we were created by intelligent design, but you believe that our ancestors are monkeys. And, of course, everyone then started laughing at the non-believer. Let me ask you something. Watch the whole video. Do you think that that street preacher led that person to Christ? No way. <laughs> he did not. But what if he would have sat down and had a conversation with him and tried to understand just exactly why he came to believe what he believed. I could promise you that he would have had a much greater chance of reaching him than being condescending. Look, what we're talking about right here, church, this burns in my heart because I love reaching souls for the kingdom. For about 30 years now, I've tried with everything within me to try to think through, man, how can I reach people? And, you know, I started out when I was a young zealot. I was the guy who wanted to be at, at the street corner just yelling at people. But you know what? You know what I've come to learn? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Empathy goes a long way, and it carries much weight when it comes to evangelism. Remember that many of the barriers that people have to the faith, they're deeply rooted in personal experiences and perceptions. And the only way you're going to find that out is if you get to know them, get to understand them. 
And when we seek to empathize with their journey, that helps us to be able to help them in those obstacles being removed so that they can then come to know Christ. Are you with me? Let me share this third and final point about how God has instructed us to act toward outsiders, and that is to show love and compassion. Now, when we consider this third and final point, we have looked no further than Jesus because Jesus is the embodiment of love and compassion. His life was a testament of these qualities. But he didn't just talk about it. He lived it every day. And his actions spoke volumes. Jesus reached out to the outcasts, the sinners, and the marginalized. He touched the untouchable. He forgave the unforgivable. And he loved the unlovable. And he didn't just wait for them to come to him, but he went to where they were. When Jesus saw the lepers, he was moved with compassion, and the Bible says that he healed them. Everyone else saw them as unclean, but Jesus looked past what others saw. The church, this is what Christ's love does in and through our lives. It causes us to be able to see beyond the natural eye and to then see through the lens of compassion. Let me just give a little understanding as to what it means to be compassionate. Many people think that compassion and sympathy are synonymous, but they're not. Sympathy may feel the distress that they see in another, but compassion bids us to do something about it. Webster's defines compassion as the sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. And that right there is, is, is what we see happen with Jesus. The, the scripture often says Jesus was moved with compassion. And when he was moved with compassion, his love took action. And this is what we're called to, to let our love be heard through our actions. Another illustration of how Christ sets an example for us as seen when the Pharisees present to him the woman who was caught in adultery. When everyone else was ready to put her to death, he showed mercy, modeling for us what it meant to show love and compassion. You see, Jesus' love was selfless, sacrificial, and sincere. And watch this. This is the type of love that we are to have for not only believers, but specifically, as we're talking about here in Colossians 4 or 5 today, with the outsiders. We're to strive to love and to show compassion to those that we encounter, regardless of their beliefs, backgrounds, or circumstances. And in so doing, we reflect the heart of Jesus and we create opportunities for his transformative love to shine through us. Let me end with this final thought, church. May we never forget that our faith's authenticity is a powerful testimony to the world. And may we be living proof 
of the gospel that we proclaim, aligning our words with our actions so that an unbelieving world may find our faith not only believable, but compelling. Amen? Come on, stand to your feet with me if you would. Did y'all receive God's word this morning? Hallelujah. I never want to preach a message. I know that today's message was pretty much to believers. But as I talked about God's grace earlier today, if you're here this morning, and maybe you've never heard that message, I remember the point in time when I heard that message. I remember when I heard these words, God loves you. Not because of anything that you have done for the bad or even for the good. He just loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The scripture says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now what that means is this. He accepts you in the condition that you are right now. It doesn't matter what you did last week. It doesn't matter what you did last night. His grace bids you to come as you are. But it starts, though, with an acknowledgement that we need his grace. And friend, can I tell you, you need his grace. This world needs his grace. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus himself said these words when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. The only way that we are reconciled to God is by faith in Jesus Christ. And if you have never put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ, I want to give you that invitation as a minister of the gospel right now. All you have to do is recognize our sinful state because we were all born sinners, friends. And then lean into his grace, his mercy, and his truth. And then he will fill you with his Holy Spirit and empower you to live this Christian life that we've been talking about today. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. I said it's a beautiful thing. Because what profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer that says to God, God, I recognize that I need you. God, I know that I'm not in right standing with you, that I'm not in relationship with you, but I want to be. It's saying, God, I want to be a Christ follower. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. And those of you that are also watching online, you can join in with us. And I promise you the prayer carries just as much weight from there at your couch as it does those here in this auditorium. Pray this prayer from your bottom of your heart. Pray, Lord Jesus, I confess my need for a Savior. Now I ask you, Jesus, be my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn from it. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God that you died on the cross for the sin of the world and for my sin. Jesus, I believe 
that you rose from the grave, just as your word says. Now I want to live my life to know you and to make you known in Jesus' name.